Bibles, let's see where we're turning. We're turning to John chapter 8. Hallelujah. Are we on? I want to ask our uh, viewing audience if you'll do something for us here at River Church. This broadcast is, of course, it's free. It doesn't cost anybody to watch it, but it's costing something to put it up. All we're asking from you is if you would share it. If you enjoy this broadcast, if it, if it blesses you and helps you, or if you just want it to be available week to week, would you share it so that someone that likes it as well as you could like it as well as you do, share it. Is that what you call it? Share it? Yes. Yeah, share it. And, you know, nothing to you, but it'll help people and it'll broaden our audience. And we want to. That's what we're in the business to do is we want to help people. And uh, that's that's how we'll do it. Praise God. In John chapter eight, this series that we're in right now, uh, we're going to be here a few weeks, I suspect, because the series is named Reasons Anyone Can Believe. Why we know the Bible is true. It's a long title, but reasons anyone can believe. We're not getting techno. We're not getting uh, into the Greek or the, you know, all that stuff and trying to, to eke something out. This is broad facts in broad daylight. This is the truth that anyone can believe. We're not even just going to talk about if you're a, you know, a scholar of some kind or, and we're sure not talking about doctrine. You know, what do you believe and what do I believe? But so we're just talking about the integrity of the word, which every Christian should be interested in. In, in uh, John 8, uh, 32, here we, we're going to get this. Oh, there we are. Uh, We'll go back to 31. Jesus said to the Jews who believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth, that truth that you know, shall make you free. And we've said it every time. The connotation there is how free? As free as Jesus is. Totally free. Free indeed, the word says in another place. So uh, we said that it's not what you've heard that sets you free. It's what you know that you know that you know that sets you free. And we've all heard a lot of things and even, even could affirm it. If someone said choose left or choose right, A or B, we could pick it out. But if we just had to come up with it and had to defend it against a, uh, an argument against it, many times we find ourselves lacking. And so when we cannot defend it, it means it's not strong in us. And the devil is the accuser of the brethren, and he will take shots at you in healing and in your supply and every other area is tormenting your mind. you got to know the truth. you got to be able to stand on the truth like the Lord Jesus did when he was tempted. Thus it is written. So we have to have a, I know what I know, and thus it is written. While you're there, slip over to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to make a case for the integrity of the word. We're going to make a case that... Anyone that says, I don't really believe the Bible. God said he wrote it, but who's God? You know, who, who, what's his credentials and all that other stuff. We, of all people, need to know past that argument why it is true. In chapter 4, verse 15, here we see something about truth. The word tells us, and we're going to look at some of it, that you should be a lover of truth. If you're a tolerator of truth or even... It's fine. Truth is fine. I'd rather watch John Wayne, but if you want to do something else, we can. That's not enough to get you where you know truth. The word says here in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him. 
it goes on, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, Jesus Christ. So how do you speak the truth? You have to know the truth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when you're in trouble, when you're under attack, when, when, the, when the shells are coming over the head, you got to be able to speak to it. You got to be able to tell it, this is how it's going to be. You have to be able to, when uh, James Spann or whoever's on uh, the, the radar machine says it's coming, head to your safe place. Well, we've seen many of broadcasts where safe place wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And it never will be enough for everything. Praise God for that. But we have to be able to speak to it. And I think everybody in here, and, and you should too in broadcast, have a testimony, a story that says, I spoke to it, and it, it went away. It went over, it went around, it lifted up, whatever. But it changed my life because it was going to hurt me. We need that story. You need that, that testimony in your life. Second Thessalonians, if you keep going east... 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's over there right in front of Timothy. I was looking today for the Passion version of 2 Thessalonians, and it's not out. I got Genesis and Isaiah, but no Thessalonians. Or if y'all found it, tell me about it, because I was going to whoop on you some Passion version, but it's, it's not to be found. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 9 says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So it's talking about end time things, isn't it? Talking about a creature, a, a being whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying powers and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Here it is. Because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Wow. Now, is that powerful or what? You go, what's the key to having a victorious life? You've got to be a lover of truth because you will be assaulted. When the accuser of the brethren comes, he's coming after with a lie for the truth. He's coming with a deviation of the truth, but he's coming for the truth because the truth is what sets you free. It's not uh, end-time foods and, and a basement and all that. The other day, one of our neighbors, big trucks came up and backhoes, and they actually sawed out a section of the inside of their double-car garage and uh, then reached in there and dug it out, and, and then they brought a huge metal box over, and they lowered it down in there and put a lid on it. And you can drive over. It's a storm shelter in the house. Well... Yay, but it's, we got to know the truth. We got to know what storms will do. The uh, TE version, TE version, TEV, they will perish because they did not welcome and love the truth. So here at River Church, and I hope in your own life, we welcome the truth. Now, there's people you go, well, everybody welcomes the truth. No, not at all. When they're confronted with the truth, they don't want the truth. Don't confuse me with the facts, they say. Don't, don't try to, I'm, my position is dug in. I have a tradition. I have an uh, uh, experience. I've heard other people, my, my brother-in-law, this and that, and they are not interested in the truth out of this. And so they don't believe this is absolute truth, or, or they would change when you saw, when you showed them 
and they saw what was the truth, they would say, my, my dear Bessie, I, I believe Delisle this year. I will convert right now. And even all of us had to go through some, some hesitation during certain parts concerning healing, perhaps, concerning the baptism of the Holy Ghost, because it was just drilled into us. For me, it was drilled into me that the, the uh, Holy Spirit and all that had passed away. And, excuse me, healing had passed away, and Holy Spirit didn't operate like that anymore because now the church was here and, and God didn't need the Holy Spirit. Whoo, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty sketchy, isn't it? Hallelujah. But I've heard it all, I think. But you got to love the truth. And so our personal, you know, we can school here, we can teach here, we can, we can counsel here and guide there and put our children in children's church. But our main thing is we got to get them to love the truth. And lots and lots of Christians abide the truth, but they don't love the truth. And uh, the reason is, is we want to know the truth so we can share the truth because we want to set men free and we can't psychologize them. We can't give them money and buy them out. That runs out pretty quick if you're helping a heathen or, a, or a, you know, it just is endless. It's endless to help people that, uh, that uh, don't have any basis of truth. So uh, we have to prevail in every debate. When I say debate, I'm not talking about two people. Every controversy or every, every challenge, we have, to, we have to prevail. Because what else are we Christians for? If we don't need to prevail, if we do list, we're just singing a song and then we're going to go to heaven someday. That's not our call. That's not why we're down here. We're to prevail with the truth, not, not our denomination, not our experience, not even our testimony if it doesn't line up. Well, the Lord sent this on me. I'm testifying. He sent this on me to teach me a lesson. Well, that's a bad testimony because it's a lie. It's not the truth. He didn't send it. It got sent, sure enough, and it came on you, sure enough, and it hurt, sure enough. But God didn't send it. But if you'll get to know the truth, you can get it off of you. Let me give you some stuff this evening that, uh, that I'm interested in, and it's, it's related. But we're going to do a thorough thing on this integrity of the word. Because everybody in here always, they're all in. We're all in. We're saying, we believe it. Pastor, just get a new subject. Tell us how to prosper. Tell us how to fix the boo-boo on our arm or whatever. But this is it. The main challenge for all of us in believing the promises, the blessings, the, the, the things that God's put in the Word, almost all of us, I've said this before, it's based on qualifying. We believe God said it. We believe God wants to. We just don't know for sure if He wants to do it for me based on, based on my present condition, what I've been doing, what I've been thinking, what I've been saying. And we're all pure. We're all naturally pure in here, but everybody knows we've all miss the mark in our mind and in our sins of omission. Okay, I, we don't do that. Uh, commission, we don't, but they're sins of omission where the word said to do it and we didn't do it. We didn't forgive. We didn't cease from coarse jesting. We, we just entered in. We said, but I'm squeaky clean. Well, probably not. Amen. So worldwide, listen to this, because it's the condition of the world that is without hope. Can you say that with me? Without hope. The world is without hope. Now, in America, the reason we're propped up so well is because we have a sense of hope without the gospel. We, we got air conditioning and indoor plumbing. What else is there? <laughs> uh, can you imagine having neither of those? Oh, my. It's, uh, so worldwide, 
there's 165,271. So we'll just say 165,000 people die every day. That's a lot of folks. There's just 200,000 in the whole county of Tuscaloosa. 165,000 die every day. That's 115 per minute. So TikTok 60 times and 115 people have left the planet. That's 1.9, or we could say that's two people per second die. And almost all of them go out of this world without the life of God in them. Almost all of them. The, 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 the HVO lane or whatever that's fast, it's going to hell. There's just a few that are... That's terrible, isn't it? Two people per second. Wow, I, I warm up the coffee every morning. And I put it on 30 seconds. Well, that's 59 or 58 people while I'm warming up the coffee left this planet without Jesus. There's 44 million in America. This is America. The other one was the world. But in America, there's 44 million people that are mentally ill. That's staggering. But I looked it up, and that's like a 2018 or 19 stat. Uh, there's 18 million Americans that admitted to being in a severe form of depression last year. They just, they can't get up. And if they get up, they don't know what to do. And they can't wait to get back. There's four and a quarter million Americans that committed suicide in 2019. Four and a quarter million. Now just think about that. Alabama is four and three quarter million. That's how big we are in Alabama, almost five. Well, a little less than that committed suicide last year. 1.4 million attempted suicide last year. Psychiatrists have the highest suicide rate of all groupings, four times higher than the national average they committed suicide. It was 19,200 in 2019. 19,000 psychiatrists. So, you know, you go, well, where's a shrink when you need one? Well, they jumped off the bridge. And there's a reason. Because this group of people, and we are not stereotyping, but we're just saying this group of people is based on analyzing and psychologizing, obviously, instead of saying, listen, honey, you need to know the truth. You got to know the truth about God, what Jesus did. And you, this other stuff, you know, what does this ink blot look like? And and did your mother, you know, hug you when you were little or whatever? Did your father tell you he loved you? You know, fathers didn't say I loved you back in the World War. And so we get a lot of that now. A hundred thousand teenagers commit suicide each year. Americans consume 150 billion illegal drugs annually. That's just America. That's 300 and what is it? 25, 30, 35 million 150 billion. I, I tell you all the time, a billion is a staggering sum. Staggering. Americans, American, Amer, an American is murdered every 33 seconds in 2015. So that's an old stat, but it's the best one I could find. 33 minutes murder. Stomach ulcers kill an American every 18 minutes. Who knew? I thought, it, you know, and heart attacks kill more. An American is murdered by abortion every 16 seconds. 
These are grueling stats. A woman is raped every four minutes. You know, there's 15 four minute in every minute. So that's a lot. Another is beaten every 18 seconds. A woman, an American woman. All manner, there's all manner of global pressure and humanism on the whole system, on our political system. The reason you turn on the news and see strife and, and uh, all sorts of mess is because there's a humanistic uh, and political pressure on everything. And it comes from the Antichrist. It comes from the spirit of the devil because Jesus has come to have peace. And I want to remind you, we have peace on the inside. We're not, you know, Lord, send peace. He did. His name was Jesus. And so we have peace. But it's not like, and I don't like to sing songs that says, Lord, send the power, send the peace, because it denies what he's already done. It's like you're praying for something, singing for something that you've already got. If anything, that I might be strengthened by your might in my inner man to walk in the peace, to turn off the strife, to break alliances with people that cause me to sin. So what's the answer to 44 million mentally ill and, uh, and an abortion every 16 seconds? The answer is to get born again. That's the only answer. There is no political system. There's certainly not enough money. We owe the human race to deliver them from godlessness. And our nation is turning more and more godless, in my opinion. It doesn't matter, because as long as the righteous are in, we will hold it. Y'all know that. It's not one for one. It's not like, well, everybody get a sword and a hammer, and we're going to meet on the field like they did in Braveheart and, and just see who comes out at the end. It's not like that. We win because we have, we have the power of God, and nobody else does. The devil has to purloin his power from people. So uh, I know you know this, but we're, let's just say it anyway. Let's get it in there. To have victory, you've got to be born again. There is no victory. And no matter how rich you are or famous, you know, you've got to go to the potty three times a day just like the poor people. You've got you to watch your diet, all that. So the point here is that in order to get born again and to get people born again who are mentally ill, depression, we have to know that the word is true. This is our answer. Lest we become psychologists and try to talk them off the wall, off the ledge, off the bridge, and try to talk them off of it simply using their soul and using our uh, well-being in our soul to just talk them off of it. I mean, you might have to talk them off of it, but once you get them back, you got to do something with it or they'll be back there again, won't they? So uh, we have a history in the church of knowing that the Bible is true. And our whole blessing in America right now, 245 or 50 years after that we've been in, in existence, has been, the, the foundation has been the Word of God. Our government is based on the Christian Judeo a form of government and on the scriptures and every state in the union in their preamble or their uh, opening document they say we trust God we believe in him and we trust him and we covet his protection um, but we're surrounded even in this 
college town, as it were. We have three colleges here, two in a university, and uh, they, they tend to be intellectual. And so there's a challenge to being in an intellectual town. They tend to be liberal because when you're, when you're looking always for the psychology of things, certainly not stereotyping. You know that. Uh, the other day there was a, at, uh, at Columbia, which is the only Ivy school, they said, in New York or New York City, whatever it was. It was and they said uh, they finally found a Republican, and he said... Uh, says, no, I'm not a liberal. I'm not one of them. But he said, I don't, I don't say anything because I'm surrounded. 99% of everybody is already... And, and the word for these people is godless. And I'll, I'll just say that political party generally is godless. Otherwise, you wouldn't be for things that are against the word, like abortion and gay marriage and all those things. You wouldn't be against it if you knew the word or believe the word, but they do not believe the word, and they laugh at the word. They are mocking all the time. So uh, the church has not stood for truth. Now, we've stood for a lot of stuff, come to our bazaar and, and help us with our fundraiser and, and all sorts of things, but we've not stood for truth corporately in America, and that's what it's coming to. That's what Rodney Howard Brown is doing right now. He's standing for truth based on the Constitution, which is based on the Word of God. And so, uh, and I told you Sunday, he's had 70,000 murder threats on him and his people. So they're meeting in a field five evenings a week out in the field because they can't stop them there and because they can't fit them all in there. So uh, it's great to believe the Bible is true, but it's not enough. You have to put the word inside. It's, it's not enough to just say, I believe the Bible is true. Well, what is that? It's not what this black ink says on white paper. It's what you got inside. It, you are a reflection. The word talks about a mirror, a man beholding himself in a mirror. Well, it's talking about the word, that we are reflected back from the word, that what the word says is what we are. And that's what we are experientially, uh, legally, excuse me, but experientially, sometimes we're not so much. So we got to know that the Word is the ordained voice and Word of God. And, and uh, against every argument, we have to always go back to that. You know, they may want to talk about healing passed away. Just, just let that go. Just, they're not in the mood to get healed anyway, so there's no need in spending your wheels on that. Because while we're doing that, we could be going over here saying, I believe and I want you to pray for me. We need to find those people and let these arguers and debaters let them go. But we have to know the Word of God so that when they come to us and present themselves, it does not upset us and it doesn't upend us. So you got to get now. Here's, here's where we're going. is not by coercion or pressure of any kind, but just by the simple uh, examining of the truth that we... Um, that under any pressure, pressure, any pressure, any pressure, we will not abandon the veracity of the Word of God. And that, that's the whole goal here. So we're just tweaking out that 99 point whatever percent. We're just tweaking out that little, little deal. So, because we talk about all the time that a one inch square screen door in a submarine will send it to the bottom, even though it's 
350 yards long or whatever. You can't tolerate it. can't abide it. So I'm going to uh, uh, just do a little study, do a little thing here about veracity. Let's just assume the Bible is true. We could do that. Now, there's a lot of arguments against it. When, when I got on the Internet, uh, there's just lots of things that dispute what we're talking about, and they pick out this, and they, and they uh, historically verify that, and this, that, and the other. Uh, what is the chance that, that the Word is not what it says it is by coincidence? What is the statistical evidence that we would all say, yeah, that's right, uh, that the hundreds of fulfilled prophecies, fulfilled prophecies, it said it was coming, and historically we know it came exactly like the word. What is the statistical chance that any of those things happened without divine intervention? That it was a lucky shot, it was a, it was a dart over the shoulder, and doggone, it came to pass. Well, let's say there's less than a 1% chance that every prophecy in here was fulfilled exactly as it was written hundreds or even thousands of years before it actually occurred, that that was just coincidence. You'd have to say less than 1%. You, you couldn't give it a big old 20% that, yeah, that's probably, that, that could have happened. It couldn't have. What is, the, uh, what is the chance that historical evidence in here, or archaeological, that said things that history had not verified or had, and that it, sure enough, it turned out that when they dug up this thing and that mound and everything, it was exactly that the Bible was just coincidence in its projection. Let's give that a 50%. Let's just say, okay, that it could have been that you just wrote that down and that's the way it was because you had insight. What if the Bible is archaeologically accurate? Uh, we'd have to guess maybe... What would you guess? 25%? We're just throwing something out there. Get way benefit of the doubt that every single thing, and we're talking about every single thing, not just like he, the Bible, hit, excuse me, hit 50%, but every single one of them. That'd be about 25%. Uh, that the Bible numerics occurred on their own. That the, that the numbers that are associated with the Hebrew letters and that have another message behind the scenes that that was just, that was just, that was lucky. That's what you have to say. Uh, let's guess 10%. That the Bible is scientifically accurate. Lots of science in the Bible, by the way. Lots of science. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not, I told you, it's not E equals MC squared, but it's certainly in there. Let's guess that that's 5%, that the Bible, hundreds of years before the uh, Industrial Revolution and the year of the inventor, uh, the decade, the century of the inventor, it hit every one of them. Let's give that 5%. Let's uh, examine that all the testimonies that people who did not know God but went to heaven or hell and by some divine intervention came back and they witnessed, had an experience. What is the probability that when they came back, they told a story, not being Bible people, and that it coincided it matched up with other people that had had that same experience that they had never seen or heard or read. They told what happened to them, and doggone, Joe and Johnny over here had the same thing happen. Uh, let's, let's say, uh, well, let's give that 10%, that they all made it up the same way and it came out the same way. Um, let's, let's guess 
how much uh, that all recorded miracles had a basis in medicine or were just lucky. It just the fever broke and the 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 the, the what is it called the issue of blood just you know everything everything happened blind bartimaeus he he it was he, he was going in through an electromagnetic field on his way to jesus and it and it sprung his eyes open and he could see what what would we give that i'd say no more than 10% that'd be generous to say all the recorded miracles red sea included the the iron did swim that there's a scientific thing striking the rock in the wilderness and water came out for um, what if all the martyrs were mistaken in their convictions and they literally died in their convictions? We, we could say, oh, that's, that'd get 50%. You might say about half of them were right or not. Uh, what about all the life-changing real experiences in marriage or in business or in your personal relationships that were, n- that were not spiritual but were totally natural? In other words, you got psychologized, you got uh, medicinized, you got all the things by a professional, and it would all of these things in the Word turned out that way. What if all that was true? And I think we've been very generous with these odds. Uh, way generous, in my opinion. So uh, this thing that I read, that I'm right, reading you, said the combined probabilities, combined probabilities, there's 10, 10 segments here. If all of them were true, it's one chance in 25 million that they could occur independent of the Bible being absolutely pro- proven, infallible, and di- indisputable. And here's what I like. In America, in America, there's a one in a million chance that you can be struck by lightning. One out of a million people, apparently, get struck by lightning. And so, based on this, we have a 25-time greater probability that we will be struck by lightning than the Bible being wrong. Well, everybody in here looks pretty, pretty, none of y'all look toasty like you've been under a lightning strike. You know, both your ears are still lined up and all that sort of thing. So, you know, get get that, that wonky look sometimes that lightning gives you. 25%, and this is being generous. It's, you know, obviously it's a lot less than that. Well, okay, that's for, the, that's for the, the critic, the one that says, I gotta know something. Well, we're not talking about facts here. We're not talking about the Holy Spirit said and it was recorded this way and, and it's all spiritual stuff. This is natural things. So let's take a few minutes, we don't have long, and talk about prophecies. This is our first subject that we're gonna look at the infallibility and the integrity of the Word of God based on prophecies. And we're looking at three areas of prophetic accuracy. The word is, it's not hearsay. It's not like it was orally committed to people. And over the centuries, we've just all handed it down from Moses to Isaac to Jacob to Zebulun and to Aranaki or whatever his son's name was, that it all came out just the same as it did from Abraham. It's written down. And, and, and if somebody messed it up, whatever they messed up, which they did not, but I'm just saying for critics' sake, God just did it that way anyway. He made it come to pass no matter which way it went down. So historical, messianic, which means prophecies about Jesus coming, and then Jesus' own words. What he prophesied, he he said, here's what's going to happen. The Bible is the only book on the planet, spiritual book, holy book, that contains prophecies. 
The only exception to that is, and I looked this up, and it's pretty online, is that uh, the Quran has one prophecy in it that says that Muhammad will ride to Mecca on a horse. And it's recorded that he did. Of course, you know, it's really improbable that he would ever ride to Mecca on a horse. Oh, wait, that's probably pretty high. <laughs> okay. Well, why is it that the, the Hindu uh, holy book and the, uh, the Muslims and the, the uh, Buddhists and all them, why are they have no, how, why do none of them tell the future? It's because only God can tell the future. These are all false, false gods. They are all lies. They are, uh, they are all manifestations of de demonic entities. We'll just say it online here that these things are not just a fraud or a charade. They are demonically inspired, and uh, there's, there's lots of proof of that. Let's, uh, let's see. Well, we got time for 2 Peter. You're, you're right there, close. 2 Peter chapter 1, slip past James. 2 Peter 1. Let's look in verse 20. Let's see what the Word says about prophecies. What is the Word? So we need parameters. We need a basis. We need to know what are we looking for so that we'll have apples to apples and oranges to oranges. It says in verse 20, For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted... Excuse me, wait a minute. Where am I? <laughs> I'm somewhere wrong. Second uh, Peter chapter 1. What did I say? Anyway, I'm... Okay, well, I, I'm talking to myself now. Uh, who verily was a foredain, let's go to verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Make sure I'm right. Verse 21. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. So we have a basis here for believing in God, that he was foreordained, that these prophecies that were, were, were rendered before man was rendered. Okay? Let's see here. I've got a scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'll just read that one to you. Let me just go there and read it to you. It's kind of a funny scripture, but it deals with this. And we're dealing with all of it. I hope you get bored to tears before this is over. Chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, verse 22, says, uh, When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, this is good, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. Y'all ever been... Around one of those? But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him, the prophet. So he said, how, how do you judge a prophet? How do you know if God was speaking? Because prophets speak for God. They, they say, this isn't me. God, I'm just passing it through. He said, I, if it doesn't come to pass, it's false. Which then speaks to the Lord himself. But if it does come to pass, it's from me. So we have a basis here for, for uh, judging the scriptures that it says about itself for prophecy. In Isaiah 46, I'd like for you to turn there, please. Isaiah 46. Like I said, there, there is a, I saw the Passion Version in the Isaiah. So if you 
Want more than more books than you got on your little shelf? Well, there's a Genesis and a uh, there's a Song of Solomon, Proverbs, and Psalms, and Genesis, and now Isaiah. That's extra. Verse nine of six. Remember the oh, I love this scripture. Y'all need to put a little star. No, put a big star around this one. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Could I have a better amen? amen. Why is he God? Why is there none like him? I mean, he's, he's got to explain that. Declaring the end from the beginning. So he didn't say signs and wonders. He didn't say when smoke comes up or smoke goes down. He said, you can tell I'm God and there is none like me because I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. So he's, he's willing to go back and long shot it. Ancient times and says they hadn't even happened yet, but stand still, they will. If you listen to Joe Morris and, and look in Ezekiel 38 and other places, you'll go, my word, nothing's happened for 100 years. And now it's a weekly thing where we see something happening in the Middle East that you can go to Scripture and say, looky, looky. Okay, got to keep going. He said... Uh, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. The Amplified says, Declaring the end and the result from the beginning. I, that's the part I like. Declaring the end and the result from the beginning. Not just it's a historical fact. He, he'll tell you what went on. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure and purpose. Oh, yay, God. Okay, we're going to do this right here, and then we're going to quit. I want to talk about the modern false prophets, because there's plenty. Because we just talked about Deuteronomy saying, if it's not true, they're false. Uh, the Watchtower Society, y'all know that. That's Jehovah Witnesses. It was circulated, it, was, uh, it calculated 1874 as the year of Christ's second coming and taught that Christ was invisibly present and ruling from the heavens since that year, 1874. Did y'all know that? Jeannie Dixon. Who remembers Jeannie Dixon? Oh, that's, that's way back. She, uh, she uh, predicted the 1952, 56, and 60 presidential elections. It was all over the tabloids. I, I remember, you know, the, what is that, the Inquirer? Yeah, it was all over them. She missed every candidate and every winner of every election. The 1978, here it is, National Enquirer had 61 predictions of 10 leading prophets. There was zero fulfillment in all 10. We just got to look it up. This is, you know, it's archived somewhere. Do y'all remember the 2012 Mayan world-ending ap apocalyptic prediction? Yeah. Uh, you know, you kind of hold your breath through 2012, and whatever date it was. But gosh, don't, don't cancel anything. Uh, do y'all remember, this goes back, Edgar Wisenot, Wisenot. Now, this man made our liver quiver in 1987. He's the one that wrote the book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Well, we, we were young, and we just didn't want to bring children in if it's going to be... I mean, it affected our thinking. We were young and Christians. 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 19, 1988. I think that one didn't happen. What do y'all think? 
uh, Harold Camping, you look him up and he's all over, he predicted that the 7,000 year later date since uh, the biblical flood, 7,000 years, because you know that's 7,000 is, well, actually 6,000, but he said 7,000, that that would, that the, uh, that God was coming back in 2000, in May 21st, 2012. Well, guess what happened? Nothing. So he moved it to October 21st, 2012. Guess what happened? <laughs> Nothing. Um, I'm almost through. The 1978 National Enquirer had 61. Let's see. Oh, I've already read that one. Well, we got a, we got a doubled here. But yet, yeah, now here's, here's the broadcast of that. We have 2,000 prophecies in the Old Testament that have just the ones that have, there's 2,000 that have been fulfilled. We can document them. We can look them up. We're gonna, we'll talk about them then, um, talk about them next time, that there's 2,000 prophecies. And some of them is, one of them is that, uh, j just show you how trivial they are, that in 590 B.C., excuse me, that it says in there a, a people will be wiped out, that they're, they're, they will, nobody know they ever existed. Well, sure enough, uh, some people came in, took over the, the nation, intermingled with them. They were another uh, tribe or whatever, and their memory in 65 years, it says 65 years, in 65 years, they were no, not even known. It came to pass. So yay, yay, yay. Thank you for being patient with me. I think we got to do this. I think you'll, you'll be equipped to say, I don't remember what it was, but I am sure that the Bible's true. You'll just be so convinced that you, then you'll, you'll point to something. Well, we're receiving our midweek tithes and offerings.